You missed uh, one Tuesday night, and the book of Revelations, actually the word revelation is the Greek word which means the unveiling or the uncovering. Every one of us have certain things in our hearts that we need and that we want and that we desire, and one of them is to know the future. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that God's put into the heart of every man to know eternity. That we would know what happened in the beginning. Every single person has thought, what came? Something had to come from somewhere at some time. What was it? Well, here's our earth, and there's all these planets in space, and all this, you know, zillions of stars, and now they have these black holes that really aren't a hole at all. It's a whole other universe that we can see that's a zillion times bigger than our universe. And, and we just get our mind blown when we start thinking of these things, how the closest star is uh, light years away, and um, we see the sun and its intensity and the moon and how it shines at night from the reflection from the sun, and it causes us to think these thoughts of what was in the beginning. Something that, well, there's a Big Bang. Well, where did the Big Bang come from? Well, these planets collided. Well, where did the planets come from? Well, they went through space. Well, where did the space come from? Science, the only, the only answer they can give today was in the beginning was matter. But yet, Einstein's second law of thermodynamics, which says everything is decreasing, everything's falling apart, nothing's getting better, things are getting worse, tells you that matter couldn't have always have been because it's always decreasing. The intensity is always going down, and even our Earth, its magnetic pull is lessening every year, which if you were to wind it back up and to be able to have life on planet Earth of any type at all, our planet can only be a few thousand years old. It can't even be a million years old. And so again, science wants to hide these facts, but it's in our hearts to know what was in the past, but also what's coming in the future. And God wants you to know what was in the past, in the beginning was God. You have two choices. Either matter existed, and that's what's always been and is always will be, or God was in the beginning. Your choice. There's only one that's logical. And then in the same, you want to know what's coming in the future. And we often think about how we have explosives now that literally just a handful of these explosives could wipe out the entire population of the world. But yet we don't have a handful of them. We have thousands of them. We could blow up our planet a couple billion times. It's ridiculous. It'd be like your son wanting to play with a cap, so you give him a 45 bullet and say, go out and hit this, son. you get a real explosion out of it. Wow, I mean, you think, well, if we have enough bombs to blow up our world once, we would stop. But we don't. We got enough bombs to blow up our world a thousand times. Hold it. Is it safe to have these things sitting around? <laughs> All you got to do is push a button and you could start this whole cycle of the world being blown up. And people think these thoughts. And often uh, when people in colleges are really studying our world situation, the world economic situation, they get so depressed they literally kill themselves or they get so depressed they have no will to continue on. Because why should I have kids? They're going to be in this horrible world. Why should I try to make the world better? It's already so ruined. It would take a miracle to get better. Well, the Bible tells us what's in the future. 
And I can tell you right now what's going to be taking place in the very near future. The Bible said in the book of Daniel that there would be ten nations getting together. And those ten nations would form a union and they would have an economic basis first, and then a military basis, and then a religious basis. Interesting enough, Europe is coming together in the European common market. Very possibly it. Interesting, you go to Belgium. I have this movie I want to show. I may be showing it this Sunday night. It's called the year two. It's called uh, Survival 2000. There's a couple of them I want to show. I'm not sure which one. I'm not going to be here this Sunday night. I'm going to be overseeing the follow-up for the the harvest up in Anaheim. But in this video, they show literally the the um, in Belgium there this building that's just a humongous computer, and they claim to have every person on planet Earth. They have them in that computer, and there's. Ten flagpoles out in front of that building. And the Bible tells once these nations get together, the Antichrist is going to come out of that ten nation union. He's going to come out of it. It was interesting in the very first article that ever came out in 1990, I still have it, and they said by 1993, Europe, European common markets will come together. And, and the, this is the guy who wrote the article, this is what he said. I don't see how it could happen. Each of these ten nations, each of these twelve nations, right now, but these nations are so individualistic. They have their own individual pride. I don't see how they're going to be able to come together as one. He says the only way I could see it happening is if one person, one individual, could somehow give them all an identity together. I was reading that. And I almost fell out of my seat. Going, my goodness, here they are saying what they believe is logical, but yet is very scriptural, that the Bible clearly says that is exactly what's going to take place. And you can look for it happening. And then the next thing is, is he's going to, as he's bringing this world pseudo-peace, it won't be a real peace, everybody's going to say, peace, peace, oh, isn't great to have this peace? And there is no peace. It's something they're trying to make believe happening because the world's going to be so horrible. There's going to be great signs and wonders. There's going to be power. He's going to rebuild the temple in Israel. For years, they believed that the temple, the Jews' temple, was actually on a place where the Muslims have their mosque called the Dome of the Rock. The Muslims build it on that site thinking this is the holy site of where the Jews had their temple. But actually now, in the last 10 years, with further archaeological studies, it's showing now that the temple actually site was over from it, a few hundred yards from the actual mosque. An interesting verse in the Old Testament said that there would be a gate put around the temple that the Antichrist would build, keeping out the profane. There would be a fence keeping out the profane. So very possibly these two temples, if you had a right political figure, could build two temples right next to each other and just build a wall right between them, which looks exactly what is going to happen. Inside the Muslim mosque, it, it says this, in the Dome of the Rock, it says, um, God is neither begot nor is begotten. A direct slam on John 3.16 that 
God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, His own special Son. And so again, it's a slam on that. So it is a very profane place, if nothing else, because of that writing upon the wall. We are going to see these things, I believe, in the very, very near future. The fact that European comet market is going to be happening in just a few months, and their first basis is exactly what the Bible says, an economic base, they're going to be having a European one-money market uh, system. And that's going to be coming. After that, there's going to be a mark on the back of the hand or on the forehead, as we're going to see in the book of Revelations. A lot of things are going to be unfolding as we look at the future. One of the states is in the last days is there's going to be a great falling away of the church. There are a lot of people in the buildings calling themselves Christians today. 80%, I actually heard the other day, the latest statistics is 84% of America now claims to be a Christian. But I know that's not true. But when the Antichrist comes and he says, take the mark, or suffer, or at the time uh, before the rapture of the church, there's going to be a great deception. And the Bible says that the Lord's going to allow this deception. There's going to be a great falling away in the church. But before this time comes, God wants to call to every person who claims to be a Christian and says, are you really? Do I really rule and reign as Lord in your life? There's a lot of people who like to say Jesus is Lord, but that's not the question. The demons know Jesus is Lord. That's not the question. The question is, is Jesus Lord of your life? Many are going to come in that day saying, Lord, Lord. Is Jesus like, why are you calling me Lord? You never do what I say. Are you doing what Jesus says to do? And we see in the first chapter of Revelations, as the Lord's giving the plea, we see there in verse 5 where He says that He loved us, and that's in the present continuous form. He's loved us with a continual love, and He's washing us with a continual washing away of our sins through His own blood. God loves us so much. And the Bible also tells us in the same breath in verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever. Amen. And I have uh, the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Jesus Christ holds the keys to eternal life. You will go into one of two, day, one of two gates. You will be either open the pearly gates of heaven or you will be open the gates of hell itself. He himself will put people into one of those two categories. Jesus said, don't fear him who can destroy the body, referring to the devil, but to destroy him who can destroy both body and soul in hell, referring to himself. Nebuchadnezzar, when he was proud towards God, God humbled him and he became an animal for seven years. As an animal, his hair grew out as the feather of birds and his nails like the claws of a bird. And he ate grass like a cow. And after seven years, his sense came back to him, and he looked up, and he says, As a man, they are accounted as nothing before God. You reign forever. Your dominion is out then, and you're able to humble whomever you desire. 
We need to come to realize that we are nothing before God and that He is all awesome. He's the creator of everything and He's created you and this great and awesome creator desires you, wants fellowship with you, wants to actually save you, to take you to heaven with Him forever. And you should be radically blessed because of that and you should fear. You should have a respect of that and be blessed because of that and not be flippant. But yet there's a lot of people who think that they can get by God. They're good carn artists. Or I've had people literally tell me, well, when I get there, me and God will have a discussion about it. There is no discussion with the Lord. Because your good works will never be good enough to take away even one of your sins. And your sin is what separates you from God. The only thing that takes away sin, the Bible says, is the blood of a perfect sacrifice. And the only sacrifice that God is receiving is the blood of His only Son. And unless you receive God through His Son, Jesus Christ, there is no salvation for you. Houdini said that he would be able to come back from the grave. He was going to do the final and greatest feat, escape death itself. Interesting enough, they bought a crypt for him and put a phone in it kept his casket in this crib for quite a long time with a phone connected. So as soon as he came back from the dead, he could call and say, open up the door, guys. I'm, I did it. After several years, they finally disconnected the phone. <laughs> Some people have no fear of God. Some people have no fear of the life after death. You want to know the future? The future is, is there is hell and there is heaven. You won't hear that from anybody else, but your heart knows it's true because the Bible says God's Spirit has told every single person that there is a judgment to come. And God loves you, and He doesn't wish you to perish. He wishes you to have everlasting life. But the only way is through Jesus Christ, and He holds the keys to Hades and to death. And in chapter 2 today, we pick up, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, interesting note as we get ready to go on here. The word Ephesus in the Greek literally means to relax your grip, to let go. And that will have very big significance here in just a minute. These things says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, which are again the, uh, the seven stars of the angels, the messengers, who are getting ready to give the messages to each of the churches. So the first message of one of the stars is who walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands. He tells us in uh, verse 20 that the lampstands are is the church. So again, the Lord's in the midst of us. Even here tonight, we've gathered in His name. Jesus is here, beginning to touch people's hearts. And even as I speak tonight, the Lord's touching some of your hearts already that the things I've said are true. These aren't my words. These are God's words. And in verse 2, He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
And again, the lampstand is uh, the symbol of the church. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, which is the word for clergy hierarchy. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to him to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I want to say right up front that salvation is not something that's earned. It's not something you do on the outside to be right with God. All that takes right to be right with God is that which is on the inside. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. At one time when they were saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus pulled a little child to himself and he says, this little guy right here is the greatest in my kingdom. Because what was on the inside of the child was no guile, was innocent, was purity, was just a genuine faith, a genuine caring, a tender heart. All the attributes that a Christian is supposed to have are found in a little child. And his attitude and the way he looks at life, very simply and very honestly, by faith. How do you get the insights right? You can't. That's the whole thing. The Pharisees, they always believed that it was by what you ate. So make sure you have this kosher diet. And boy, they had this Jewish strict law. And Jesus said, it's not what goes in the man that defiles the man. It's what comes out of his heart. The lying, the cheating, the murder, the hate. That's what's coming out of the heart. That's what's defiling the man. To eat something that's not washed or it's pork, or that's not defiling the man. It's, what, it's his heart condition. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ will come into your heart and he'll clean it out. There was a point in Isaiah where the people were literally taking their children and sacrificing them to demons. And the Lord comes to them and says, Though your sins are as scarlet, which means they're double stained. They're not stained on the outside, but the more expensive dark garment was stained on the inside. And he says, Though your garments are double stained inside out, yet I can take them and make them white as snow, which was impossible for man to do at that day. But today it's not impossible. God can wash your sins away, make you as white as snow as a child who pure and as innocent as if you had never sinned, standing before Him. Now as you're walking with the Lord in this church, this one state of a Christian is this. They know right doctrine. There's a lot of weak-minded people today who don't know the Bible and they listen to what all these people say on the television and they send their money in to get their sins right or they say these prayers repetitiously to or they go to confessional or whatever to or they walk on their knees for miles to get their life right with God or whatever they they don't know what the Bible says and these men who are in positions of authority are telling them this is what you need to do and they just do it instead of taking the word of God and God's holding every person on the earth responsible for knowing themselves what the word says and if a person says, well, so-and-so told me that, that will not fly before God. Every single person knows they need to know God. They have this emptiness and this pull in their heart 
no matter how much they drink, no matter how they get high, no matter how rich they get, no matter how fame they get, no matter what, no matter how kids they have, no matter how many times they've been married, there's just always this pull in their heart saying, until Christ is first place in your life, that emptiness and that void is going to be there. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, that is always the case. If you're a non-Christian, you need to get God into your life. If you're a Christian, you got to get God at the first place in your life. That emptiness will come back. And this is what's happened to the church here. They had some good, solid teaching. They knew truth. And they knew when false prophets came or false apostles came because they knew God's Word. And they weren't swayed by it. They said, you're liars, and they got rid of them. And they persevered. They continued to labor to do all the works that they were to do to teach Sunday school and to pay their tithes and to... Uh, do their witnessing and to do all the little extra things they were to do and they were going through the motions of a Christian but that first love was gone. We find in the book of Corinthians that motive is everything. And he says there if you were to give all your goods to the poor, if you were to take and go be a missionary in some jungle somewhere and give your life and they were to burn you at the stake. But it wasn't out of a heart of love. It was out of simply emotion you were going through. The Bible says it would profit you nothing. You've ever been in love, and I know everybody's at least had puppy love here. You've got to be careful about puppy love. Often they say if it ever starts with puppy love, you end up with a dog's life. So be careful. But you know those feelings, you know, the old heart, pitter-patter, pitter-patter, and boy, you're just, oh, your hands are sweating, and oh, you're just, oh, I just so much like to be with that person. The girls are thinking, oh, Lord, let him ask me out, anything, oh, God, here he comes, oh, oh, he's just telling me my shoes untied, great, oh, man, I just, oh, thanks a lot, I appreciate it, you know. The guys are thinking, oh, I so much want to ask her out, I think I'm going to go ask her out, I can't, I'll just tell her her shoes untied. And, uh... You get these crazy thoughts at night. You're laying there in bed and you see yourself running towards each other on the sandy beach, you know, and in the sunset going down. And finally, somehow, a friend pushes you into her and knocks her book out of her hand, and you finally get the nerve somehow to say, Hey, you want to go out? She nonchalantly, of course, says, Oh, when? Depends, you know. Don't want to seem too anxious. And they finally go out, and boy, they have this, the flowers come, you know, they get there early, and they're all excited, and I want to make this a perfect night. I got the perfect place to eat, and the perfect place to go afterwards, and the perfect flowers, you know, they spend a half an hour getting the perfect cars, and they're just, boy, everything's just got to be perfect. You go out and even vacuum the car out and get a, you know, I don't know if you fill up the car or not. It depends on what how you move out there, guys. I and mean, you may want it on empty, I don't know. But, uh... You, you just got this stirring and it just continues for months as you're dating and just, oh, you have this incredible love and we have to be together and, oh, you're burning and you get married. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm married. <laughs> the ball and chain or, oh, this is my husband. I, yeah, it's my husband. You open the car door for her, but you forget and you slam her arm in it. Oh, 
thought you already am. You're so, so slow. I mean, I gotta wait for you this and wait for you that. And I pull the chair out for, from her, but then you forget to scoot it back in, and she falls on the ground. You bring her flowers, but it was just because you found them in somebody's trash can, and they were gone, and you thought, oh, here, here, take those petals off, and here you go, honey, I was thinking of you. Sure you were. But she nags you to bring a card. Sure it'd be nice to get a so-and-so got a card. It was so sweet. Hint, hint. Oh, really? So you go to the supermarket, and you just pick up the first card. It says, Dear Grandpa, hope you get better, you know? Oh, great. You can't go on like that. So many people continue in that direction and just start existing together. I tell people, marriage is heaven or it's hell. It depends if it's the right person, if it's the right timing, and if you're willing to work your head off. It takes a lot of work to stay in love. Because it's so easy when you get two people under the same roof not to get mad at each other and to stay mad at each other, not to offend each other. And how easy it is to begin to have a hardness of heart. First, you're just so happy to do that for that person. After a while, it's like, I tolerate it. And then after a while, it's like, I'm just sick of tolerating this person. They've been this way for years, and I'm just fed up with it. Either they change or our married status is going to change. And it doesn't matter what you say at that point, it's not going to work because they don't want it to work. And in the end times, it tells us that in Timothy, that doctrines, these seducing demons, are going to go out into the world and sear men's hearts and their minds. All these kind of weirdnesses. And in the church, there's no doubt in my mind that there are demons even present here tonight. Jesus says there's tares among the wheat to try to get people to harden their heart against each other. To try to get people to harden their heart against serving the Lord. And everything they hear that's anything to do with Christians just irritates them. Oh, I know what that pastor's going to say now. I heard that analogy 25 times. I already heard that story. I already know what he's going to say now. Start hardening your heart. And you go to read the Bible and say, Oh, comic book. Oh, wow, look at that. You're kidding. Garfield said that? Let me have that thing. I'll get back to the word here in a minute. And you never do. And one day of not being in the word slips into two, and two slips into three. And before you know it, uh, your wife is having to put pledge on your Bible just to get the dust off it. Trying to shine it up for you on a couple months later and you just bring an extra Bible, you find it a garage sale and slip it in the back of a pew there where you always sit and just use that because you don't want to have to carry one. Where's that first laugh? The Bible tells you how to get back there. He says in verse 5, first to remember therefrom, therefrom, for from where you have fallen. I'll tell you, Christianity is the funnest, the most joyful place to be if you're in the center of God's will. 
If you're not in the center of God's will, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you're miserable. And you may be a Christian here tonight and you know the Lord, but yet you know you're not in His will. You know that you've allowed sin to slip into your life. You remember when you used to get home from work and, oh man, I can't wait to get home and pick up where the Gospel of John Jesus was in the middle of healing that blind guy. And man, I, what happened there when he talked to his parents? And now it's like, oh man, I hope I didn't miss the last part of Ofer Winfrey or something, you know? And, you know, they're having the transvestite on there today. And I'm really interested on, you know, how it was he had puppies or whatever it was. Your mind's full of pollution and very little of God's Word. Remember those days when you just, your friends would say, come on, let's go out to the movies, and you just thought of just staying at home, thinking, man, I just would love to just read the Word and pray. I just got a new praise album with some new worship songs. I just wanted to kick it on and listen to it and read my Bible. The joy of just spending time with the Lord because you were so in love with Him. The beautiful incense of praise really from your heart. The beautiful flowery incense of praise. Now it's just, let's sing and you know, let's get on with the sermon and see if Brian learned any new jokes this week or whatever it is. Remember those days of that love you had and that relationship and the sweetness of that communion with God. Remember those days. And then he says to repent, to do the first works. There's two powerful forces on planet Earth. There's the devil who's the god of this world, who's the prince of the power of the air. His presence is most dominant in the world. And then there's the gentle breeze of God's Holy Spirit. Open to anyone who will believe. Open to anyone who will come to Him. But because of these two forces, it's impossible to walk the way you want. It says in Galatians chapter 5 that the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, that you don't have a choice. It goes on to say that you do one or the other. You don't choose. So there's really not an in-between point. Either you are following the Lord, and you're in the Word, you're in prayer, you're in fellowship, or you're in the flesh, and you're serving the devil, not knowingly, even as a Christian. The anger, the lack of love, the lack of kindness, the impatience, the self-control, the joy, the peace, all those things are not in your life. Either they are in your life because you're putting all your energies in following the Lord, or you just let go. We're going to be studying in Romans 12 here in two weeks. And it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not conformed to the image of the world. The word transformed in the Greek is literally to push and to keep pushing. It's almost like the analogy of an oar and trying to go upstream, stroking, stroking, so you're not conformed, going with the current. But the word conformed literally is the word they used when they would put onto a a person, they were going to make a bust of him, they would put a clay figurine upon the person's face and then take it off and then wait, heat it, and then be able to make a mold out of that person's face. And this is what happens. When you set still, you are conformed to the image of the world. 
You don't have to do anything. You just don't do anything. You just sit there. And automatically your flesh and the devil and the world will take over and you'll become just like them. That's why the Bible says we have to run the race with endurance. We have to fight the fight of faith. To be a Christian is hard, difficult work. But when that love is alive, it doesn't seem like work at all. Let me open the door. Oh man, I'm going to go out of the way and get the best flowers. You go to the one flower stand. Oh, they don't have what I want. I'll go drive to the other one. It's 15 minutes away, but I don't care. I'm going to get that perfect card. I've been looking for an hour, but I want to keep looking. I just want it to say just the right thing. The work and the effort you put in doesn't seem like work, doesn't seem like effort because of the love in your heart. And God's Word will keep that love alive. So you need to repent, which literally means to turn around 180 degrees. And it definitely has with it, as the Bible says, a godly sorrow of saying, God, I've been in the wrong. Lord, I haven't been being transformed. I haven't been running the race with endurance. I haven't been fighting the fight. I've been setting still, and as I've been setting still, I've been drifting downstream. I've been melted into the world's image. And so here you are now, in this state where there is no first love. You're going through the motions. You know the Lord's in your heart, but there's no fruitfulness in your life. When was the last time you led a person to the Lord? When was the last time that you really remember desiring to witness to someone? When is the last time you just couldn't wait to grab your Bible and go sit down on the bay or the beach or go off to the park and just to read it? Where is that love? Remember and repent. And then the next thing, it says to do those first works. To start doing them. The repeating action of continuing doing those things that you remember, that you repented, and now you're starting to do them. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I sometimes get, everything gets so complicated. There's all these things i got to remember, you know. No coarse jesting, and uh, you've got to have a heart of love, and you've got to remember uh, how it is to be an elder, and you've got to know uh, different verses, and you've got to, it gets so complicated, and you start trying to please all these different people, and you're trying to you start being something you're not. And you can't be honest with yourself or anybody else anymore, and you can't really just enjoy being a Christian. It's this struggle, it's this chain you've got to carry. I get to the point, I just say, I don't care anymore what anybody else thinks. And I just come back to the basis. You know what? I've got all this extra baggage, and all I want is just to read the Bible. Get rid of this extra baggage. Give me the Bible. And I just start getting back in the Word. Get rid of this extra baggage. All I want to do is get on my knees and pray. Get all this extra baggage. I just want to go tell somebody that Jesus loves them. Tonight on the way over here, one of the my neighbors who I've invited last year to Harvest and this year, and he was walking up and he was walking up the street and just the typical uh, dopehead type of guy. I mean, he's just always on drugs and he has a real tender heart and he's walking up and he goes, oh man, I want to come to Harvest. I didn't have any money for the, the parking fee. And in both hands, he had a case of beer. <laughs> didn't have any money. Yeah, I know why. 
He goes, man, I really want to go. And I said, I know you do. I said, come on tonight. He goes, oh, man, I, I can't. My sister just got her breast enlarged, and we're all having a party. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> He's, he's out of his mind. I mean, the guy can barely remember his name. It's just super sad. And uh, he walked over, and I put my arm around him. And I said, you know, I love you, man. And every time I tell him that, he just starts just about to weep. He goes, you know, I know you do. And you're the only one on this block. <laughs> He goes, I tell my friends all the time, that guy over there, he's so good. He always comes over and talks to me, and, and he loves me. Because <laughs> I tell my friends that. Oh, to get rid of the extra baggage. Christianity can be so fun, and to see people get healed. And I know that guy's going to get saved. God's calling him. And when he does, and he starts walking with the Lord, oh, the joy. The fun it is to be a Christian. The fun to see God change your life and other people's life. To begin to repent to remember to repent and to begin to repeat those works. In James chapter 1, if you want to turn there, it's just to the left, about six pages. Turn to the left. There in James chapter 1, starting there in verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, and he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, of freedom, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one is blessed in what he does. And then turn over to Matthew, if you would, to chapter 7, to the left quite a bit, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Now everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not, and, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Again, it's coming back to be a doer of God's Word. As James says, you can't just be a hearer of it and not a doer of it. In those days of your first love, how you just took literally God's Word and did it, no matter what it said, to do it. I had a brother here in the church, and he had another guy at work that was really, really wronging him. And this guy claimed to be a Christian, and and uh, he asked me what I should, what he, what he should do. And he said, you know, I read the scripture that said, if your brother offends you, go to him. But you know, this guy is my, actually, he's like my boss, and you know, he's lying and he's doing some things that are wrong, and and I don't know. And I, 
I said, hey, the Word says what it says. He's like, you're right. That's just what it says. And that was it. That was the whole council. And he went and did it, and the guy repented. And the guy quit lying and turned it around, and it ended up being a tremendous blessing for him. Those simple days. But yet people, as they walk with the Lord, say, oh, they start getting everything so complicated. They, Well, I know the Word says that, but it also says this, and it also says this, and this, and this. And they take scriptures out of context, and they take some bad experiences they think they had. It was just really the Lord either punishing them or the Lord trying to get them uh, to really obey what He said. They only half-heartedly obeyed it. But the simplicity of God's Word working... To be a doer of the word, blessed is the man who does it. And he says, there's two men who hear the word. One does it. He's like a man who's building his house on a rock, a sure foundation that'll never be moved. And all of us here tonight, today, added another brick or two to our life. Some of you today finished some bricks and building a closet around some skeletons in your life you, weren't, you wish weren't there. There's others of you hiding out, hoping you don't get caught from illegal things you've done in the past. But every one of us today have built bricks in our house. Every one of us is building. The thing is, is a lot of you have been building here for 20 or 30 years. And unfortunately, though it says in 2 Corinthians, there's or first, second, first Corinthians is one foundation which is laid that no other man can lay. It's Jesus Christ. There's only one foundation that will always stand. And the wise man heard God's word and he put his life on that foundation of Jesus Christ and he built. And every day we're building. And that house, when the winds come and the waves come and they begin to beat against that house, the house stood. And I guarantee you, maybe some of you tonight are being beaten by the winds and the waves and the storms of life are rattling your cage right now. And you're wondering if you're, what tomorrow brings, if it doesn't bring complete disaster. There may be some of you here tonight who are building on your second marriage. And it is starting to shatter and to fall apart now. Thinking I needed to find a new person and my house was smashed before but I found a better person and now my house won't be smashed. But now it's getting smashed again for the second time. Friends, it's not you or the finding the right person. It's are you obeying God's word? And you may be a Christian here tonight who built half of his house obeying God's word and since then there's been many days that you've put several bricks on that were not God's will. And the Bible says that fire and testing is going to come. And then the Bible will see what's really God's and what isn't God's. And that which isn't the Lord's going to be burned up. And you're going to be back three years behind on building your character and building a Christian status in your life. But it's almost too late because your immoral life or your lack of living the Christian life has already polluted your children and you're already having to deal with your carnalness in them. Friends, wake up. Remember, repent, and begin to repeat what God's will is. To do it, no matter what the cost, no matter what it takes, no matter what you have to lose to obey God's word, obey Him today. And we go on in the book of Revelations, and He says there, Or else I will come to you, and notice there's again the word quickly. 
which is the word to execute fast. It's going to be a quick execution. You're thinking, I've got another day. Or my life couldn't fall apart in one day. Hey, do you want to start a testimony time? How many people do you think would stand up right now if I said, did your whole life fall apart in one hour? Two hours? Three hours? I'll guarantee you, we know, don't we, how your whole life can be turned upside down with one car wreck or one divorce or one child doing something very wrong and your whole life is turned upside down in one moment. Hey, wake up because disaster could happen extremely fast. And he says, lest I remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. There's many of you here tonight that you're building your house on something other than the foundation of Jesus Christ. You know about him, but you've never made the commitment to make him the Lord of your life. What happens to people who are in religion for a long time and they still have that emptiness and that hole and things are always falling apart? Where do they turn? Verse 6, but he says, but this you have, in other words, present and the past, not referring to the future, that you've hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, the clergy hierarchy. Where do people go when they're hurting, when they're quote-unquote church is not fulfilling their need, where the Word of God is not meeting their need, where prayer is not meeting their need, where do they turn? Some big organization. There they go, back to the big building with stained glass windows, and they go to a person who has doctorate in front of his name or psychologist in front of his name, saying, tell me what to do. Wanting another God in their life than the only true God. Tell me exactly now, what am I supposed to do? You be the Lord of my life right now. And Jesus says, I hate when people put themselves in my shoes. He wants to be the Lord. He wants to meet your need. He wants you to come directly to Him so He can heal you tonight. You don't need another man. You don't need a psychologist or a psychiatrist or some doctor or some priest or some confessional or some rituals or going back to some... Uh, big organization with stained glass windows to make you feel like there's something secure here. The reason you're feeling insecure in your relationship is because you haven't been putting Christ first. When you go to these other people and they start running their life, it will be bondage every time. Sometimes they'll be right and sometimes they'll be wrong. I've told people in our church repeatedly, don't believe what I'm saying because I'm saying it. Believe it because it's what the Word says. And if you think I'm wrong, search the scriptures and come talk to me because I'm not infallible. God's word is. And I'm trying to tell you exactly what it says. And if I've said something different, I'll repent. It won't be a matter of saying to you, hey, get with the program and don't tell anybody. Hey, we don't have that kind of relationship here. I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. But the Bible says in the body of Christ, one's a hand, one's a foot, one's an eye, I'm the mouth. (laughs) And you got a big one. That's the only difference. I'm just a different part of the body of Christ. And the Bible says I get less glory, and so I'll probably have a lower position in heaven because I get all the glory for getting to be the one to talk. So I've got to work harder at being a bigger servant so I can store up treasures. But verse 7, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know what's so sad tonight? Is there some of you here tonight the Lord's brought 
to hear this very message. And for a few moments, it was like a spark. You're going, oh, that's, that's me. But yet the energy it would take to follow through on what I've said tonight is not worth it to you. You immediately thought, oh, my favorite program's coming on at 8.30. I hope Brian finishes up here pretty quick. You were thinking, oh man, I wanted to get home and finish sewing that or cooking that or cleaning that or man, I hope I get home in time to finish my report before school tomorrow. You were a hearer of the word, but you won't become a doer of God's word because you didn't have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord was saying tonight. And there's others of you tonight who are going to hear this word and are going to be saved and are going to get right with God. And the rapture of the church could come tonight and you got in an hour ahead of time. Just in the nick of time, you put Christ first in your life. Are you ready? Don't call him Lord if you're not doing what he says. It won't fly. I can't tell you're a Christian. You say you're a Christian? You're a Christian. 80% of America wants to call themselves a Christian? Great, then we're a Christian country, aren't we? It's not for me to judge. But I guarantee you this, in a twinkling of an eye, there's going to be the rapture of the church. There won't be time to think. There won't be time to talk. I see many of you blinking your eyes in the midst of hearing me. And that's how quick the rapture of the church could come. There's some of you here tonight that need to remember, that need to clearly repent and to begin tomorrow the Christian life they had for a few weeks or a few months or maybe even a few years in their early part of Christianity, but they got off track by allowing the world to conform them than by continuing to run that race and being transformed. And you need to get back on that racetrack and start running the life with God first. And there may be some idols in your life that you need to trash to put Christ first in your life. You know what they are, I don't. There can only be place for one God. There's some of you here tonight that may be hearing this for the first time. God loves you so much. He's not condemning you. He wishes all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You need to open your heart. You need to receive Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I ask tonight that as your spirit is moving upon the hearts of every one of us, God, that you would bind Satan from hardening the hearts of some people. That they would immediately, Lord, take that free will and soften their hearts to remember that first love and to repent and to really put a commitment in their heart to begin repeating to do the works that they did at the beginning. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name right now that your spirit would go forth and accomplish the work that your word was meant to do.